old-timers out there. And now, the news. Welcome to Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelgar. Be sure to protect your watercraft from harmful rocks and debris with the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. MegaWare KeelGuard products can be seen at KeelGuard.com, and I am a big believer in their FlexStep and SkateGuard. Bass Edge Nation, thanks for tuning in to another informative episode of Bass Edge Radio. We have some recent feedback wanting a particular pro angler on the show, and we get the chance to hear from him today in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Kurt, I'll give a big hint to the listeners. Think Bassmasters Classic Lake Gunnersville. Okay, okay, Aaron. Let's not let the cat out of the bag just yet. Bass Edge Radio is fired up and ready to roll. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com. Find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Kurt, two weeks left to file that, you know, volume encyclopedia of a tax return from all your tournament winnings that you have to get turned in for last year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Unfortunately for me, I'm, I'm already on the road. As maybe some Bass Edge Nation longtime listeners can hear, we're going remote this episode because we're out here on the road fishing the Elite Series, and we're between two events. We're between the uh, St. John's River event and, of course, coming up to your neck of the woods, Table Rock Lake here next week. Yeah, I am anxious to see how that goes. And, of course, you know, you never know. I think you guys are probably going to put the hammer on them. And as far as the technology aspect, hey, that's just the world that you live in. Tough life, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. i tell you another world I've been living in. I've been living in the Brett Height world. What is up with the chatterbait domination this spring? Unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've been seeing on, uh, of course, through Bass Blaster, all of the articles, not only on his, but then, you know, you know, there's some other tournaments out there that Kumar had put out there that it seems to be not just isolated to the elite. It's kind of uh, across the nation. Yeah, it definitely is. The chatterbait drill is going on. It's seemingly not as productive in the big rocky lakes like Table Rock, but anytime you get some vegetation and some shallow water in gear, uh, we've seen it at Gunnersville now this year. We saw it at Lake Seminole. Um, several guys caught some very nice fish at St. John's. I've uh, seen it on the SLW tour, even at Hartwell. You know, they were catching them on, on the chatterbait. So we had a little bit of Twitter feedback of some people wanting to hear more about chatterbaits. And I want to reference an episode that we did with Brian Thrift. I think it was episode 146 that uh, we did a big talk on chatterbaits and Brian 
it's first one of the pioneers of the Chatterbait back a few years ago. So uh, Bass Edge Nation, you can hear more about Chatterbait fishing in that episode. Well, Kurt, you also remember our, uh, I guess it was our first March episode, and I apologize, I forget the number. It had to be 179 or so. I think it was right before Kevin Short with Dave Mansu, and he talked about yeah. that little change that he makes to his Chatterbaits with the weight and the blade size and fishing that deep. So that kind of ties right in with the Brian Thrift episode. It sure does. That's the great thing about having all these episodes archived. We can always go back and listen to old news. And uh, then, of course, you know, we've got new news twice a month. So uh, Bass Edge Radio, always bringing it strong. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, I think to kind of shift gears looking forward now into Table Rock, certainly my home waters, very near and dear to that body of water. A little anxious to see, given the winter that we've had, I'm predicting spawn's going to be later than normal. Obviously, they should be posting up into uh, the pre-spawn type situations. Uh, any predictions there on your part? So, yeah, you know, I've obviously been following along on the Internet and had snow a couple weekends ago. So certainly not out of the woods just yet. So uh, certainly I'm, I'm looking forward to a pre-spawn event. I'm a big jerkbait fan, so I'm looking forward to getting my I'm a foot out there and squeaking it across some points and seeing all three species come up and jump on that bad boy. So uh, I'm excited, but yes, certainly I think it's going to be a pre-spawn event. Should be, uh, you know, the typical two-pounder is going to weigh three pounds. So I think we're going to see a lot of big fish and we're going to see some big bags. So I'm definitely excited for it. Real quick, Aaron, I want to ask you, how has things uh, been going on with feedback for our Lucas Oil opportunity through Bass Edge? That's been going fantastic. The response has been overwhelming, and just by the response, it really speaks volumes about the caliber uh, of people that is in the Bass Edge Nation. And for those who may not be aware of what we're talking about, go back and hit episode number 179 or 180. We talk more specifically about that, and certainly if you're interested in that, send in an email to info at BassEdge.com. In the meantime, though, it is time for our Tech Minute presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Let's go see what Mark Negus has to say. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. It's that time again for Tech Minute with Mark Negus of Lucas Oil, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Chad from Stockton, California wants to know, there's a lot of debate on premium fuel versus 87 gas or adding octane boost versus not. What advice do you have concerning the use of octane boost in our autos and watercraft? Okay, well, first of all, um, octane boosters should really only be used in four-stroke applications. We don't recommend that it be used in two-stroke applications, mainly because it does contain ash, and ash can actually form deposits between the cylinder wall and piston ring. Octane booster is designed to improve the performance of your engine. It can be used in both 
four-stroke outboards. It can be used inboard outboards. It can be used in automotive applications. And the main thing is that what it does is it gives you more money in your pocket by using the octane booster. The octane booster is not that expensive. And if you can boost the octane of your fuel to a higher level, of course, you have more money in your pocket. Well, I am all about more money in the pocket. And concerning octane boost, Kurt, sounds like Lucas Octane Boost is the preferred alternative to your morning energy drinks. Maybe it's a... uh... Maybe it's a prerequisite to us going on air. Bass Edge Radio is back in a moment. Two fishermen came together with one agenda. To construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish. With our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats. Hey, Edge listeners. This is Scott Suggs. I'm Dave Wolak. This is Chad Morgan-Taylor. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. This is Dion Hibden, and you're listening to The Edge. Today in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight segment, we have the most wanted angler interview in bass fishing industry over the past six weeks. We've got 2014 Bassmaster Classic champion Randy Howe. Welcome back to Bass Edge, Randy. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad to be back. Well, it's always a pleasure, Randy, and it's great to see a veteran angler achieve what I am sure has been one of your career goals. It is a pleasure to have you back on Bass Edge, but even better to have you back as Bassmaster Classic Champion, a term I'm sure you will never get tired of hearing. Describe to our listeners exactly what that means to you. Well, I tell you, man, it it is, uh, like you said, a lifelong dream. We all as pro anglers aspire and dream to try to win that Bassmaster Classic, and we never know if it'll actually happen, but we all just hope it will and to me it just means the most that anything could mean in the bass fishing sport you know it's just an accomplishment and a a goal and a title that you know never can be taken away I'll just be able to represent the sport, you know, for the rest of my career as a classic champion. To me, that just means the world. Yeah, well, that's awesome, Randy. You know, the final day of the classic, you made an instinctual strategic move that enabled you to arrive at your fishing location that provided the bites to win the tournament. Here at Bass Edge, we often talk about following our instincts. Please describe to us your thought process that helped you ultimately make that decision to go to the bridge there in Spring Creek. It was a lot leading up to that final day that brought that final day off together you know the fish were constantly moving in that event you know more so than any I've ever fished and probably one of the best things that happened to me was not having a good practice there that allowed me to not get zoned in on what I needed to do I still had to stay in the search mode and the figure it out mode and uh, as I watched the water warm and the rain that came in the back of the creeks muddy the water up and warm the water up every day those two or three key areas I had were loaded with fish and shad down deep off the rocks of several of those bridges and causeways. And I knew that they would move up and feed if we ever had the warmer, dirtier water and current. So I did that for the first two days and caught 20 and 18 pounds. But then on that final day, you know, as I was going up the lake to the Mill Creek, I really had a, just an overwhelming voice in my head saying, go to Spring Creek now. And I, I tried to fight it off and, and I know better than to do that. And I, and I said, okay, do you want to be good or do you want to be great? And that statement 
came into my mind so strongly. You know, and I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I believe strongly that, you know, God's hand was in all this, and he gave me that instinct and that feeling to do what I did. And when I made the boat turn around and I ran the other way, I was just, you know, overwhelmed with emotion, and I just felt like I'm getting ready to go do something great. And when I pulled up at that bridge, you know, nobody was there, which was a miracle on a Sunday morning with beautiful weather. Right. Uh, and then right. and I, and first that cast, second and third cast caught one, and my third cast was a seven-pounder. And uh, so it, it all just came together at that key time. The water temperature had warmed from 52 to 57 degrees first thing in the morning. That was some of the warmest water probably in the lake. And uh, it just turned all those big fish on, all those shad, and they were just feeding like crazy. Well, it's interesting. Like Kurt said, we talk a lot about the mental warfare that goes on in our own head and kind of speaking you know, about your faith. And that's kind of like you know you try to battle against the higher power and, and God in this case and it's a little bit like playing tennis against the wall you're going to lose if you don't follow yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I have lost and I've lost way more times in my career than I've won and lots of times I look back over the years and seeing how hard-headed I've been and how I'm just not trusted because you fear the unknown and you don't want to leave something that's good to take a chance on something that's not happening at all or you know so when you take a chance it could be something even better for you if you just follow it but sometimes we kind of settle into just doing okay you know i mean if i'd have went to mill creek that morning i feel 100 percent i would have got there and i would have caught them every cast just about the same way as i did at spring creek but would they have been the five and six pounders like i caught there or would they you know they might not have been that big you know i might have went there and had a good top five top seven finish but i wouldn't have won the tournament and that's the difference in listening to that instinct and not listening to it sometimes being good or being great and i'm just glad i made the right choice this time <laughs> well that's for sure and it paid off in a big way and uh, randy most of the bass in the country are still really in that pre-spawn stage due to and this is an understatement but really the chilly winter that we've had this year if you're fishing a river system like say the coosa river in your home state of alabama what three baits are you relying on right now well typically i've been gone so much i don't really know what the weather has been on a lot of places i know it's been unusually cold and so the water's probably still going to be in the, the mid and upper 50s right now. And so I'm still going to stick a lot with my reaction baits, you know, like my Livingston crankbait, the howler bait that I caught the fish on in the last day at the Classic. That bait has the characteristics of a wiggle ward. It's a wide wobble, hard vibration. That's the type of bait I want. After the real cold water is over and you get to that next stage of the pre-spawn, mid-upper 50s water before the spawn, that's when they get more active. That's when that fast tracking crankbait works better. So that bait... That would be one and then uh, I always keep a jig handy because the jig's really good something in a crawfish color like you know just ultimate rattling jig a rattleback jig to throw around docks and brush and things like that and if you got grass in the lake you can even swim a jig around that grass and then probably a bladed jig or a chatterbait type jig that seems to be a bait that's uh, gaining you know it's always been great but it's kind of fizzled out people don't talk about it as much now but the classic kind of brought that back to everybody's attention because quite a few guys in that top five were using that chatterbait style lure and, that, and it catches big fish in this time of year. In the river system this time of year, you know, obviously since we typically are you're going to have the colder water conditions because of the winter that we've had, are you looking to stay in the current, Randy, or, or are you try and find some backwater stuff that's warming a little quicker or oftentimes just like on Gunnersville or any of the Coosa River lakes uh, like we're talking about here, what three baits you'd use there, the current positions those fish a lot. Do you still find that the current is really important this time of year in the cold water? You know, it seems to not be quite as important as it is as it gets a little warmer. I, you know, because I searched at Gunnersville in that practice, I've got a really lot of good offshore 
high spots and shoals that current stacks fish up on those corners and things. And that's one of the things that Van Dam does so well on the Tennessee River and on Gunnersville. He had a bad event there because those main lake, main river fish, it was too cold for that current. I think the current made those fish, you know, go negative instead of positive. It pushed them down away. It scattered them out and it kind of made them get out of those key feeding areas because it was too much current for that cold. So current plays a part, I think, in the backwater and the bridges and culverts a lot like on the Gunnersvilles and on the rivers and stuff. But I think once those fish pass that pre-spawn feeding stage and they start getting ready to look to spawn, that's when you kind of got to get away from that current and get in those areas where the sun can warm that water and they can just kind of chill out there and get warm before they start moving into spawn. Gotcha. And what type of adjustments would you make then? Let's go back to kind of that three lure conversation. What three baits, if you're fishing an impoundment that's you know not as in current related like Lake Gaston where you grew up in North Carolina? Those type of lakes, when they start warming up and the fish start to move up to the bank and stuff, especially you know if you've got grass, it's hard to do the cinco. Um, cinco, I catch so many fish on that bait, and then, and then you can throw that bait anywhere, anytime. If you just take your time and fish slow with it, you can catch fish on it. So that'd be one of my big key choices there. Also, that same blade jig, chatterbait type jig, that bait will work, you know, lakes, rivers, everywhere. And it just is kind of, I would kind of probably change my color up more from the darker colors in the river and that type thing and kind of get the crawfish, uh, brown, orange crawfish type bait uh, and to be able to throw around cover. And then I, I just target more shallow stuff, you know, and go to the square bill crankbait now instead of the uh, deeper bait. Well, Randy, making your living as a professional tournament angler and really you and Kurt both, you know, you guys have both had your share of swings of emotion, you know, the highs and lows. And certainly even, you know, look at you over the, the last month, you won the ultimate in the sport. I mean, the Super Bowl of bass fishing. And, you know, you look at your two elite events and you've kind of had since then some ups and downs. How do you handle these swings of success? And to elaborate further, I hear kind of weekend anglers say all the time, I just can't catch them. And, and it's like, I'm going to get out of the sport or sell off my boat and tackle. And of course, this is an extreme out of frustration. But what advice can you, being at the pinnacle of the sport right now, give them to kind of help handle those swings of emotion and success and failures to where it keeps them engaged and really working towards that goal? As hard as it is, it sounds like a not a serious answer, but hard as it is to, to think about, you can't take it too serious. And for us, you know, guys like me and Kurt that do it full-time for a living, we have to take it serious because it's how we make our living. And I've been in so many ups and downs in my career over 20, 21 years, and that's the key. You, I've learned over the years, you got to stay in the middle. You can't get too high when you do good, and you can't get too low when you do bad. And you got to know that we're always competing against a fish, an unknown creature that we can't see that's always moving. It's like playing golf without the hole being present, kind of moving the hole around. <laughs> that's we can't overanalyze a lot of times, and we sometimes you just have to chalk it up to, hey, that's fishing. I try to learn every time from my mistakes. I've learned a lot more from mistakes than I have from failures, and uh, and just move on and just know that when you that's why I say when you have a great tournament and you have a great day you just have to really be so thankful that day happened and that kind of makes up for some of those days that are bad you know like at Seminole I come right out the first event and you know I took a little bit too many risks in that event and tried to find fish offshore tried to find fish that nobody else was fishing for because I got boat 100 the first day in a side fishing event and I kind of let that affect me too much and I went out and really did the swing for the fence a little too much and uh, my confidence overweighed my knowledge there <laughs> and, and that's what happened on that one and um, then I come back and blocked it out of my mind and 
didn't worry about it. And I came back the last tournament and led the first day and ended up with a seventh place finish. So you just got to shake it off and move on and just stay positive. That's great advice because I think so many times weekend anglers, uh, whether you're a kayak fisherman, a tuber, you know, they can get frustrated really quick. On TV, you know, when you're watching Randy swing on seven pounders at Spring Creek Bridge, it makes it look really, <laughs> really, really easy. But uh, yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into this game. And, uh, you know, the 10 or 15 minutes that you see a great angler like Randy Howe on TV is whack. There's a lot of stuff that behind the scenes that you don't see and being able to control your emotions like you're talking about and kind of keep an even keel. It's, hey, you know, just go out there to have fun. Let happen what happens and uh, everything's going to be good because at the bottom line, we're all out fishing. Nobody sees the days that lead up to those, you know, magical moments. You know, those days prior, like uh, on the three practice days of the Classic where I fished 10 hours the first day and never had a bite. And I fished nine hours the second day, had two bites. And then the next day and had four bites. Those days like that where you fish all day and no cameras, no glory, no nothing. You're cold and you're hungry and you're tired and your mind's playing tricks with you saying, you know, you don't know what you're doing. What are you doing here? How can you even get in this classic? You know, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, the voices, <laughs> those voices, you got to just block out and just say, hey, man, I'm going to have fun. I'm thankful. I get to fish for a living. You know, I'm going to do my best and see how it shakes out. That's awesome. Randy, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and discuss a lure and technique that uh, really not discussed very much over the past several years. Bass Edge Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. The next time you need auto parts and accessories, trust O'Reilly Auto Parts. Our professional parts people know what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for decades. It's all part of our service commitment to you and what sets us apart. Come see for yourself at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The 2014 Classic Champ Randy Howell returns with us in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products, from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Well, Randy, you know, I've had the opportunity to follow your career for a long, long time. You know, we kind of grew up in the same region of the country, you, you know, you down at Gaston on the Virginia Carolina border, and I grew up in Northern Virginia, so pretty close to each other. And we've got a few close friends and acquaintances. You know, I know in the past that you really have enjoyed throwing a floating worm. Can you explain to Bass Edge Nation why this is such an effective tactic in the spawn and post-spawn stages of bass fishing? You know, Kurt, that part of the country, man, you grew up in, we were really blessed to get to have some of the best fishing in the springtime that I think you can still have anywhere. I mean, growing up on Gaston and Smith Mountain a little bit up toward where you were mm-hmm. at more, those sure. lakes were just great lakes for sight fishing and seeing fish swim around, some of the biggest fish ever. And the floating worm was a bait. I started fishing probably when I was 11 or 12 years old. And I think I was drawn to it because every bass that bit the floating worm, I saw it in slow motion do it. And it was so great. You couldn't even hardly go to sleep at 
at night after you had a great guide trip with a flood worm in uh, the first, <laughs> second week of April. I mean, it was so awesome, the five and six, seven pounders on Gaston. But that bait would catch them better than anything up there that time of the year. But that was before the Cinco came out. And when the Cinco came out, people ask all the time, why don't you throw a floating worm much anymore? Or why don't I ever see, you know, talk about a floating worm? And I really, when the Cinco and those stick worm type baits like Cinco's came out, you know, it's like the fish quit biting a floating worm is good. I don't know if it's just because that whole technique was nothing like it and nobody threw it other than a few people that knew about it and it was so effective. But then as the Cinco came around, everybody started throwing stick worms, Cinco's, flukes, and similar type baits. And I think all those fish in those areas started, you know, getting more pressure on them and then it kind of got a little tougher to do it. But I still, I carry a couple 50-pound duffel bags in my camper uh, <laughs> everywhere I go. And I've got every color made. You know, I've got the old Danny Joe Humphrey floaters and the old Bucky Bass, Tar Heel Team Trail guys, their floaters and the Hall River. Man, I've got so many colors and I'll pull them out and still catch some fish from time to time on them. But I tell you, once that Cinco came out, now I'll throw that 99% of the time and catch them on it. When you talk about the stick baits and the floating worm, is that two different types or the way that you rig your equipment, rod, reel, line, that type of stuff? Sometimes it is, but that one little key time that Kurt was talking about a lot was right when they would be going on the bed and when they would actually be on the bed. Floating worm was just such a teaser bait where you can just walk the dog under the water real slow with it and flutter that bait and let it just fall by a stump and then you just twitch the time or two and you would just draw them up. And the females would always come up and get that bait more than the males would off the bed. And I think it's just because it was such a slow teasing type technique and then the fish just couldn't stand it. And I would throw it on a spinning rod back in the old days and throw a medium heavy six. Back then all I had was six and a half foot spinning rod with 10 pound. I throw a 10 pound string line back in those days. And I can't believe all the big fish that I caught and never got my line broken back in the days when I didn't know any better. But as the Cinco baits came around, I'll still throw them most of the time on a seven foot medium heavy dial with spinning rod. And I'm telling you, I've experimented with fluorocarbon on it and I've experimented with braid. And when I really get to where I want to fish a float worm again, I'll go back to the mono and I'll fish instead of my gamma edge fluorocarbon, I'll go to the gamma copolymer line, which is more like monofilament line because it floats and allows that bait to have the right action and you don't jerk it away from the fish. And then I've tried it with a swivel and braid and a little leader on it. You can do well with that if you're in really heavy cover, but you have to be careful when a fish bites it not to snatch it and just rip it right out of his mouth because I do that even at West Point last year. I was I had it on braid. First cast that morning, I cast on the one I'd seen and the fish come up and boiled and eat it and I reeled down and jerked and broke my leader and uh, because I jerked too hard like a dummy and uh, that I missed the money by a few ounces at West Point. That was a five-pound fish. So you just have to be careful and really go back to the old way of doing it with monofilament. I think that's more successful. Sure. You know, there's not a whole lot of guys that still throw it, but there's still plenty of times when it can be a deadly tactic. You can cover so much more water with a floating worm style bait because you can work it a little bit faster, cover a pocket much quicker than you could if you had to fish super slow. And I remember John Cruz cashed a really good check on Clark's Hill a couple years ago throwing the floating worm last year at mm-hmm. West Point and then there were several guys and shoot at Seminole running around I was sight fishing I'd see some guys drive by me and they were, they were out there slinging that floating worm so still a really good viable technique but one that's certainly not talked about a whole lot. Randy what other kind of techniques do you like to use in the post-spawn status? You know you got some guys in Florida and Georgia and in my stretch down in Texas where some of these fish are becoming post-spawn. What kind of baits do you like this time of year when some of the post-spawn activity starts? Well, when the post-spawn gets in, depending on the 
region and the, the type of body of water we're fishing. I say again, I, I don't mean to keep harping on a Cinco, but I'm telling you, Cinco is so deadly. I'll throw the 6-inch Cinco more during the post-spawn and even a 7-inch Cinco in some of those areas like in those Texas lakes that have the really big fish and some of the Florida lakes. But even uh, the last tournament at St. John's River, I finished 7th in. A lot of those fish I was catching were post-spawn on the last day or two. I kind of left the area. Me and you were kind of working the same area the first two days, and that area just died out and got trashed by the wind. So I just had good practice, and the Cinco is what held me in and kept me from falling further down than 7th, you know, just throwing that 6-inch Cinco in those spawning areas and catching those big skinny post-spawn fish and mainly just throwing it out and letting it fall, reel it and twitching. I'll still pull it and twitch it a little bit like a floating worm and then let it fall again, but Cinco is most deadly when it's sinking, when it's falling with no weight on it and it shimmies down the action of that. So it catches those post-spawn fish really well. And uh, then top water, I love top water, the pop R, popper type baits, and that's when the old pop R's from the old days, I still throw those a lot and cast them into little tight areas and I throw that on braid and most of the time just on straight braids you can throw it in and make the bait walk the dog and pop and spit. Sure. Uh, that bait's a hard bait to beat on a post-spawn fish, especially a big fish. Third one uh, would probably be just a reaction after they get a little more out of the post-spawn they're starting to feed a little bit. That's when the, the, the reaction bait of the old square bill type crankbaits. That's hard to beat the old wooden square bills. Now on your on your Senko, I know a lot of Bass Edge Nation loves to throw the Senko cool and, you know, there's so many different types of way to rig those baits. You know, what, what's your preference or, or when, do you, when would you rig a Cinco, like wacky style versus Texas style? What are your preferences and types of cover when you're fishing that particular lure? That bait is so versatile. I tell you, this is the two ways I go about it. Anytime I have open water that has no cover in it or not enough cover to prevent me from using it wacky style, I'll try it wacky style because wacky style still without a doubt is the most effective way to make a fish bite if you can throw it. But like in some of the lakes, like when we fished St. John's, I could never do it wacky style there because you're in grass constantly and you're in junk that you can't allow it to work and sink. But when I do it wacky style, I usually do it on a spinning rod and um, usually with braid and a little swivel and uh, a little you know, two and a half foot leader, usually 12-pound fluorocarbon leader. And I'll just use it on a straight shank round bend, like a two-alt straight shank round bend hook so it can shimmy down and you can just twitch it, you know, just slowly bounce the slack back to you that and that makes that bait just, you know, have that little wiggle that's hard for them to resist. I mean, more cover situations, I'll throw it Texas style with no weight first. Last tournament, I was throwing it on braid in that grass. Fish will bite it on braid, and, you know, no problem at all. And then when you get bits, you feel it tick and you feel them pulling you down in that grass and you don't have to worry about just stretching your line or breaking them. You can just cut it right through the grass when you set the hook on it. And with that, a bigger, heavier, like a big heavier wire, you know, four-out wire hook on it. That's what you need when I'm doing it that style, Texas style. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's good information. Every episode, we bring a, a question to our pro anglers in the O'Reilly Auto Parts Professional Parts People Listener Question segment. Today, our $100 gift card goes to Scott Duck from Bourbon, Missouri. And Randy, Scott asked you this question. He says, I have a question for a pro about fishing the sun and shade. I realize in the summertime and warmer water, you want want to look for shade under docks or shady banks, etc. But in the cooler water, more specific in the morning fishing, would you still want to fish the shady banks first, or do you want to fish the sunny banks first and then move to the shade as the day progresses, or just stick with the shady banks for the most part? Simply, 
this time of year? Do you prefer shady banks over sunny banks or vice versa and why? That's a good question. You know, I ask myself that quite often too sometimes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> mostly I like to go with the sunny banks uh, until once you get past the postpone, that's when I'll start looking for the shade lines. But all the way up till then, I like to look for sun. I'll start on those north banks where the sun is hitting first in the morning. And uh, I try to look for even the combination of rocky banks with that sun that warm up faster. And I'll just stay in that sun because, you know, a bass is a sunfish family and they are looking for sun and they're looking for warm. And, and I'd be much better on those sunny type banks till the water starts to get really on into the 70s, deep into the 70s. Well, that's a great rule of thumb. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for sending in your question. All you have to do is just uh, shoot us an email. Let us know that you heard it answered by the 2000. <laughs> 2014 Bassmaster Classic champion Randy Howe. Man, I can't think of a more uh, credible source to answer that question. But be sure to include your address, and we will get out your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And Bass Edge listeners, we appreciate the continued questions that you're sending in, and we encourage you to continue submitting those questions, even though we won't always get to every one of them. But uh, continue submitting them to our email address, support at BassEdge.com, or obviously post them on our Facebook page and Twitter handle and will always include your name and hometown. Well, Randy, first off, congratulations once again. I can't think of a better person. You've always been a great friend to not only to Kurt and I, but also to Bass Edge and sharing all the information through the various Bass Edge projects that you've been involved with. But thanks so much for, again, taking time out of your very busy schedule to visit with us on Bass Edge Radio. And for those that uh, may or may not be aware of, be sure to check out Randy's uh, bloopers from the television episodes that he fished with <laughs> us back in the day. Any uh, any final thoughts uh, before we close this down, Randy? I thought you were supposed to lose those right, the year after. <laughs> I gave you one year to use those. That yeah. was it. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, Bass Edge is a great, informative show. And I know I hear a lot of people on my Facebook website lots of times commenting about the good information they get from you guys, and glad to be a part of it. Everybody just check out my Facebook. It's Randy Howell Fishing on Facebook, and be Randy Howell on Twitter. And uh, follow us all year, and we're going to keep a lot of good information up on there throughout the season. And then uh, even on Bassmaster.com, my wife, Robin, and I both are kind of going back and forth, taking turns writing a column on there. So y'all follow us on that as well with uh, kind of the stories from the tour. And uh, we'll tell it just like it happened so that, that people want to know what really happens like Kurt says, not the 10, 15 minutes of glory, but all the other stuff that happens the other 23 hours a day. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll be telling it and having a good time. So appreciate it again. Look forward to getting back on there with y'all, and I'll see you on the road soon. Yeah, that sounds great, Randy. I'll see you later this week here on Table Rock at the event. So yes, uh, I appreciate you stopping by Bass Edge. Bass Edge Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com.
Aaron, I got to tell you, it's always fun talking with Randy, and uh, I love the fact that we can now call him Classic Champion. He's stalwart in the sport for 20 plus years. You know, hasn't won a whole lot, but has always been a top finisher in the game, and obviously knows a lot of information that he can give to our bass edgers, and and even a little throwback lure presentation. That's fun to talk about too. Oh, it absolutely was. Like you said, you know, such a consummate professional. Once a year, we get to interview the Bassmaster Classic Champion. Couldn't think of a better guy for that to happen to and for us to have on. So great stuff there. Touching a little bit on what you said, you know, kind of a throwback. The floating worm, you know, that discussion. Loved it. What I think about is when we were back in the days of really that was kind of the marquee lure for that time of year. And like you said, it kind of went by the wayside. But I still think about the methylate worm, that red looking thing that's coming through the water. And it just amazed me that a bass would even eat that. But it's so fun, so visual, and it was effective. And it still is effective, you know, exactly. And I think that was why great conversation to bring up some tactics that are kind of lost sometimes, but they still work, especially this time of year and that spawn and uh, upcoming post-spawn time of year when the bass are starting fry and, uh, you know, fish are still in those shallow pockets and, and just relating to that shallow water stuff because of the stage that they're in that spawn and post-spawn stage. I got to tell you, Aaron, funny thing that Randy said, he said, bass fishing is like playing golf without a hole. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the quote. That's going to make the uh, Bass Blaster quote. We have to get that to Kumar to put on the quote of the day. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it couldn't be explained any better, really. You know, you're just kind of out there, you know, fishing around, trying to figure it out. And, you know, as we discussed, you know, you see five or ten minutes of TV footage and it just looks like the guy is crushing them all day. But there's a lot of research and uh, a lot of downtime and a lot of figuring out that goes into play before you get to that point. And, uh, you know, you can make those great GoPro videos or, or make those, you know, awesome Bassmaster TV shows that uh, all of us love to watch and learn from. So that comment, that sealed the deal for me. <laughs> that was pretty- <laughs> it did, and it's always fun, and certainly always fun hanging out with Bass Edge Nation. Just want to throw out a thanks to you, the listener, for keeping us tuned in to your headphones, your iPod, whatever format you are listening to us through, and uh, certainly you guys are the reason of why we do this. Unfortunately, we are out of time for everyone here at Bass Edge Radio. Our Bass Edge staff, Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. For episode number 181, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. We'll see you April 15th, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>